Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I didn't know what to do. I learned in school to say no and run to the nearest adult, but there wasn't an adult in sight. I knew this man was bad. I knew it. And the dispatcher told me not to open the door and asked if I had a weapon. Please, I beg of you, do not go to a Church of Scientology Center. If they can make me into a spiteful degenerate in just a few hours, then what can they do with a person in a few months or a year? From Disturbed Media... Join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to Shudder for supporting Disturbed. Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural. From Hollywood favorites and cult classics to original series and new films. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code DISTURBED. Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that are sure to give you the chills. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with our title story coming to us from Reddit user Ryan Puckett Zero, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And it's the places you least suspect where horror can strike. This encounter is the main reason I hate sports. I mean, every sport. The stadiums may seem teeming and happy when there's a game on. When they're empty, they are a carnival of evil. I quit playing baseball when I was seven years old. It was very boring to me. However, my my brother played on various teams and was very good. I would go to his games to hang out with all the other kids my age and just get away from the house. And I got comfortable with all the facilities that they played at, like knowing where the snack stand, the bathrooms and playgrounds were. I'd bring books and toys and keep them in my dad's van just in case it got boring and there was nobody to play with. My dad never kept up with me, mostly because he was watching the game and my brother. One summer, when I was 11, I went with my dad and sisters to watch my brother in a baseball tournament. It was an all-day sort of tournament with multiple games. My sisters had found friends there on the bleachers and seemed pretty happy. My dad was with all the other team dads, chatting and focusing on various games. At some point, I grew tired of the metal bleachers and the absolutely skull-numbing pace of the game. So I went up to the parking lot where my dad's Honda was parked. He never locked the door as he didn't want to be bothered by me asking for the keys. 
I noticed one of the park workers riding around in a golf cart in the parking lot as I retrieved my book on the Vietnam War. I love nonfiction. He was staring at me as he cruised around. He made multiple laps as I made my way towards the stairs back down to the football field. Nobody was in the parking lot as they were watching the game. The crack of the baseball bat and distant screams of encouragement only seemed to tell me that everyone was too far away. And yet, he drove towards the roller hockey rink opposite to the fields. I thought that he must have thought I was breaking into the van, so I just shrugged it off like any 11-year-old would. There was a creek that ran parallel to the sports facility. I'd been there many times as the facility we were at was where my brother's team had practice. I ventured back, sitting and reading for a while. After a few dozen pages, I noticed that the dense brush reminded me of Vietnam, based on the pictures I'd seen from my book. I ran around with my pretend M16 pretending to be ambushed by Viet Cong, and I had a good time, much better than what I had gotten sitting and watching my brother's game. After a while, I noticed that the noise from the baseball fields had calmed. I thought the tournament was over, and I was hot, tired, and ready to go home. The trail that went from the creek to the baseball complex passed a maintenance shed, like where they keep lawnmowers and such. When I passed it earlier, both of the main doors were closed and locked. But now one was raised. A golf cart was poised right outside the open door. I slowed a little, trying to see any movement from inside. As I started to pass the open garage door, a man came around the corner of the shed. Hey, buddy, he coughed, cigarette smoke circling his head. He stepped closer and I recognized him. He looked dirty and greasy. It was the man from earlier. What you reading there? He asked. War was all I could manage as I took two more steps away from him. He dropped his cigarette, letting it drop into the weeds. Which war? There's a lot of them, he slurred. His eyes were staring up and down. I told him Vietnam, and he either coughed or laughed. He kept getting closer step by step. He kept on talking, but all I heard was the words handsome, almost like my mother would describe me. I didn't know what to do. I learned in school to say no and run to the nearest adult, but there wasn't an adult in sight. I knew this man was bad. I knew it. I just tried to put some distance between him and I, but he saw what I was doing, and he lunged at me. He grabbed my collarbone and his momentum pushed me flat on my back. He landed on his knees with his left knee between my ankles. He grabbed my crotch while his other hand left my shoulder. He undid the button on my shorts. As soon as his hand released the button, I kicked as hard as I could into his ribs. I'd been swimming since I was seven, so at least my swimmer's legs would hurt him enough to give me some time to run. I rolled over and pushed myself up and started sprinting. Honestly, it felt like a couple seconds from when he first spoke to me. My hands went cold and I could hear my heartbeat as I went into shock and I ran towards the baseball fields. I didn't know what was happening, but I needed to tell my dad. When I reached the fields, there was nobody, not a single soul. The fields and stands were empty and I didn't see any coaches or maintenance people either. The game had ended. There was nobody to go to. I was devastated. Who would help me? I knew I had to hide, so I ran into the bathroom, which was single-use, and I locked the door. I felt so nauseous that I threw up the pizza I had for lunch. I was crying because my dad wasn't there. I mean, where was he? Why did he leave me? Am, am, am I that forgettable? I started heaving and sobbing. I caught up to the moment, however. thought of the brave marines I'd just read about in Da Nang, holding out against the Viet Cong. 
I told myself to be quiet because the man was still out there. I pretended I was a marine. I would be strong until the end. I still cried, quietly on the dirt floor. I don't know how long I sat there. I sat next to my own vomit until I couldn't bear it anymore. I peeked under the crack of the door for a while, picked myself up, and began to breathe deeply. I knew the way to the parking lot. There has to be somebody, I thought. If not, I'll just walk to a business or a house and call Dad. I knew his number by heart, as well as my address. After a few minutes, I unlocked the door and booked it as fast as my legs could manage. Later, I realized I left my book behind, somewhere in the grass by the shed. It was one of my favorite books. It helped me survive this encounter, and I have yet to find it since. I saw the golf cart back towards the football fields as I made my way up the stairs to the parking lot. I almost shrieked as I saw a few cars left. One was towing equipment from my brother's team. It was their head coach, Coach Tim. I ran over to his window, but I didn't even have to knock as he saw me coming and rolled down the window. Why are you still here? He asked, looking at me confused. All I could say was that my dad forgot me. He told me he'll make sure I got home to my dad. He called my dad and said I was at the baseball fields when he had found me. He took me to Dairy Queen to wait till my dad came to get me. He ordered me a brownie fudge sundae, and I swear to God, I, I get sick to my stomach when somebody mentions Dairy Queen. I didn't touch a bite of it. My dad showed up, and I got in the van. I was crying. He said he was sorry for leaving me, and it would never happen again. I cried all the way home. I told my parents what had happened, but they didn't believe me. They said I was lying, that nothing like that happened. They said I'd seen too much TV or I just wanted attention. I never went to another sports game again. Almost every recreational sports complex gives me severe anxiety. I don't even want to watch sports on TV. Fortunately, through school counseling as well as therapy, I have accepted what happened that day. I have distanced myself from my parents, who continue to say it was made up. I'm glad that my instincts kicked in. I'm glad that I made it out of there alive. I know some of you listening can resonate with this experience. If you haven't experienced something like this young, just be glad you haven't. However, I've moved on from this fear. My siblings know and understand, as well as my close friends. As long as you have people to support you, you will always work through it. Thank you for listening to my story. I hope my experience reached you too. Up next, we hear from Reddit user T. Clark C. with voice work by Rhiannon Mauschel. And we prepare to be lured. This happened last night about a quarter after midnight. I was in my bed when I heard frantic knocking. I walked out of my bedroom while the knocking continued, and I heard a woman saying, please help me, along with crying, but it was faint. I looked out the peephole to see no one there and no other doors were being knocked on, just mine, which is odd by itself, but I'm also on the third floor. Why would someone walk all the way up to my apartment if they were in distress? I think it was a recording, because if someone really needed help, they would be banging on everyone's door. I called the police immediately, and the dispatcher told me not to open the door and asked if I had a weapon. I've heard of this tactic before, 
while slightly different with it being a recording of a baby crying. Just insane when thinking about the statistics of stranger abductions usually resulting in murder. Also, just so sick to try and prey on people's empathy. Police drove by. I saw them using their spotlight to look through the complex, but as of now, I have no idea if anyone was found or by chance someone was hurt, if they found her. I've barely slept with all the possibilities of how this person found me, where they saw me, where they followed me, or if they live in this complex. I am 4'10", live alone, and don't know many people in my area. No family close, either. Have they been watching me and know all this? I mean, it's just making me go crazy. Stay vigilant, don't fall for these tactics, and know that not everything you read on the internet is false. I heard about this a year ago, and wonder if I hadn't already been aware of it, would I have opened the door? Where would I be right now? Would I be alive? This world is fucked. Update, 2.57 p.m. I have talked with the management to let them know what is going on. As of right now, no one else has reported to them of anything similar happening. I am going to contact the police again for an update. I was redirected to another PD, but they weren't the ones who responded to the call. I know it takes time for reports to be filed, so I'm trying to be patient. I just want to know if this has happened to anyone else. I've ordered a ring camera and will be picking it up shortly. At least this way I could get video of them if they come back. And it will help me sleep better. As far as it being a prank, absolutely it could be. But I would be more inclined to believe that if it happened to other women in the apartment building. Maybe it has, but they haven't said anything. One side of the coin, it's a very cruel prank that I shouldn't worry about. The other is that someone has been watching me and had something sinister in mind. Horrifying to think someone would pull an elaborate prank like this or real-world things that happen that we never think could happen to us. Guns and self-defense classes. I will be getting both of these, but they both take time and a lot of money. I don't want to just get a cheap gun with no training. That won't be much help. It will be something I will invest my time and my money into. But for the short security, I can really only get a ring camera and stay updated with the PD. Thank you everyone for your helpful tips, like the neighborhood apps and gun safety. I appreciate it so much during this scary time. Update 2, 8.30 p.m. I have my ring camera installed and working. I feel much safer knowing if they come back, I can at least have a recording of them. I know I need to talk to my neighbors, but right now I'm exhausted from no sleep and still spooked. So I'll do that tomorrow. Also, hopefully the police report will be filed by tomorrow. And I can talk to the deputy about this. See if there's any update. Disturbed is proudly supported by Shudder, and Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals. From Hollywood favorites and cult classics, to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films. And with Shudder, you can stream all this great content, and the best part is it's just $5.99 a month. And guys, Shudder makes it so easy to stream to your favorite devices, whether it's your iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, and so many other devices. 
you're going to experience new supernatural terrors, edge of your seat thrillers, and shocking horrors that are added every single week. I absolutely love Shudder. I use it all the time, and the one I just watched was VHS 94. Seriously, go check it out right now. I know you're gonna love it. Now, Shudder has kicked off its annual 61 Days of Halloween, which is a massive two-month celebration full of new movies and series that are just perfect for spooky season. And that includes a new season of Creepshow, and the one I just mentioned, VHS 94, which is a brand new installment in the acclaimed found footage anthology franchise. Seriously, I can't recommend Shudder enough, especially for you horror lovers out there. So get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code DISTURBED. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com with promo code DISTURBED to try 30 days for free. And as always, remember, supporting our sponsors helps support the podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Now back to the deliciously frightful, disturbed podcast with your host, Chad. Next up, we hear from Reddit user The Flare. Featuring voice work by John Patnode. And we experience the Church of Scientology. This happened when I was around 17 years old and is still happening to me now. At 17, I felt lost in the world and stuck in a job I disliked with work colleagues that didn't like me. This had to do with my accent, as I was quite well-spoken, so... They thought I was a rich kid. It all started on a Friday after work. The factory I worked in had a half day on Fridays, so I would just spend the rest of the day wandering around the city I lived in. It had been a tough day of reckless mocking, and I was reaching my breaking point. I went around the city looking for a new job. I visited the police recruitment center, the army, navy, and air force centers, and even the International Red Cross. I just wanted to get away from it all. After a few hours, I had a bag full of career pamphlets and still no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I turned a corner and immediately saw a sign sitting in front of me. 
I can remember it so vividly now. It said, Free personality test. Are you curious about yourself? Come in. I then look up at the building, and in a big, fancy sign outside, it said, The Church of Scientology. Now before I continue, yes, I already knew about Scientology. However, I had a morbid curiosity about it. I had heard all the horror stories and goings-on inside the church, but Tom Cruise was my favorite actor, and he seemed to have his life sorted out pretty good. <laughs> my famous last words right there. So I went inside. I was immediately greeted by a very nice lady. She asked me how I was doing and what she could do for me today. I asked if I could speak to somebody about the church and the personality test. She smiled and said, I would be happy to. Please take a seat and I will get you someone to speak to. After a minute, I was introduced to an older man named Alan, and he was the head of my city's Scientology Center. Alan took me to a small room to talk privately. When we entered, I immediately noticed the large picture of L. Ron Hubbard on the wall. We sat down and genuinely had a nice talk. I told him about how I was unhappy about where my life was going. I told him about how I wanted to leave, plus all the trouble I was having at work. He seemed genuinely concerned for me, and I felt like he wanted to help. After a while of talking, I agreed to do the personality test. He gave me the test and left the room saying to give it to the receptionist after I had finished. Two hours later, I finished it. Not joking, that's really how long it took. It was around 500 questions about anything and everything. I handed it to the receptionist, and she told me it would take some time to process. In the meantime, Alan had told her to take me to their private cinema and show me a film. I thought it was just going to be some old room in the back with a TV on the wall, but no. They indeed have a private cinema. It could seat around 50 people and had a large screen in the front. It did feel a bit weird just being by myself in a cinema owned by Scientology, but I bet that hasn't happened to many people. Or maybe it has. Anyway, I sat down and they played me the film. It was about 30 minutes long and consisted of a narrator explaining those strange feelings you sometimes get, with some mediocre acting following along. I remember a section about how much you doubt yourself, knowing you have a locked door but going back to check multiple times. At one point, the film showed how a past event that happened to your mother while she was pregnant with you could affect your life in a negative way. Example, your mother was sick on a flight, so you are scared of flying. I also vaguely remember something about rotten eggs and how much an event involving them can hurt you. I know it sounds absurd, but in some ways the film really made sense to me. When the film was done, I was taken to Alan's office and he told me my results. He told me I was extremely depressed, one of the most unmotivated people he had even met, lacking cognitive thinking, and I was a waste of talent. Now, this made me very upset, but Alan said he could help me. He gave me about four books and a DVD. He told me to read the books and watch the film before my course. I asked, what course? And Alan told me he had signed me up to do a course at the center. He convinced me that if I didn't do this course that my life would soon spiral out of control. He made me hand over quite a lot of money for the course and said I would receive an email about the course which was in a month's time. I left the center, ran home, and immediately started reading the books I was given. 
This happened all over the weekend. I had basically locked myself in my room and did nothing but read and reread those books and watch the DVD over and over again. Over the next week, I began taking notes about myself and my family. I emailed Alan with questions and concerns. I started resenting my mother for my life. I began to think that she was the problem, that everything bad that happened to me was the result of her. I started to treat her badly, swearing at her and did the best I could to ignore her. When I emailed Alan about my mother, he told me that if she was the catalyst for my problems, then maybe I should consider disconnecting from her. And I took that bullshit seriously. I made plans to totally leave her out of my life. A week before my course, I developed some kind of god complex towards everyone around me. What I read in those books told me what I could become. I saw everyone in my family as below me. I really became a truly spiteful person. Just days before my course, I was confronted by my mother and father. They said they were concerned about me and they searched my room. My dad took out all of my Scientology books and the DVD. I was outraged. I screamed and cursed at my parents. I said horrible, wicked things at them. I told them how I was going to leave them and how I never wanted to see them again. Hours of arguing back and forth, tears and crying. However, in the end, they did convince me that the church was a bad place. They said if I was so miserable at work, I should have told them. And that is true. To this day, I can't believe I didn't say anything to them. Instead, I went to Scientology. That night, after the arguing had stopped, they sat me down and comforted me. I really couldn't believe it. After the way I had treated them for the past three weeks, they still cared for me. The next day, I emailed Alan and told him I would not be coming back to the church. He quickly got back to me asking why asking if it was my family and if I was being forced to not go. However, I ignored him. The emails I received in the next few weeks were mad. He told me stuff like, I should leave my family now and I could stay at the church. He tried to convince me that it was all because of my mother. He even emailed me to say something along the lines of, he won't be surprised if he reads in the papers that I was found dead by suicide. I'm very sure he crossed a line there, but I just kept ignoring him. The strangest email I got was one in all binary code. 00110101 this and 100010101110 that. I used a binary code translator, but it all came back as mixed up letters and numbers. None of it made sense. I eventually blocked him, however, it still hasn't stopped. About two or three times a year, I will get an email from the church. It's either asking about how I am or asking about my family. When I get them, I immediately block the email address, but they just keep coming. It's always someone new saying they heard about my case and they were worried about me. The whole reason I'm writing this is because I just got one the other day and I thought it would make a good warning. Please, I beg of you, do not go to a Church of Scientology Center. If they can make me into a spiteful degenerate in just a few hours, then what can they do with a person in a few months or a year? If anyone has any idea how to block an entire religion slash cult from my email, then please let me know. And if you're lost in life, sad or upset, then please, please talk to your family, friends, or a doctor. When you're down, don't let others make you into a monster. Take it from me. 
After this event, I got help, and I'm a happy, confident person now. Oh, and Alan, if you are reading this, you made me into a monster. So for your sake, let's not meet again. And finally, we check in with Reddit user Ligamentary, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we get requested by name. I was watching my daughter's kids while she and her husband go out of town. They have a teenage daughter. Let's say her name is Alyssa. At like 3 a.m., I'm woken up by a weird rustling sound and look out the window and see movement. I saw a boy emerge from the bushes on the side of the house. I saw a bike tossed on the lawn that definitely wasn't ours. My first thought was it was a burglar casing houses, but since he looked young and came through on a bike, I figured scaring him straight would be enough for him to decide to head home. Didn't want to ruin a teenager's life by calling the cops straight away. So I went out on the porch, flipped the lights on and said, can I help you? in my classroom voice. The guy looked surprised, but not nervous. He was wearing a Letterman-style jacket, but once I got a clear view of him in the streetlights, he seemed much older than my granddaughter, gruff, and more wiry than athletic. He walked up closer to the house and said, yeah, I'm looking for Alyssa. I gave him a disapproving glare, hoping he'd realize he came looking for a girl late at night, and a grumpy old person answered, it's time to split. I'm thinking what must have happened is Alyssa knew her parents were going out of town, and maybe before she knew I'd be staying over, told a secret older boyfriend to come over. It was late, and I was alone with several kids, so I didn't want him coming any closer to the house. I also thought it was weird he came so late and wanted to be sure Alyssa actually wanted to talk to him. So I said, I'm sorry, who? And he said, Alyssa. You know, Alyssa, last name. This is her house. I thought he knew her full name. They must be at least friends. I said, you wait there. He started to walk up and I felt a sick burning in my gut. Instinct kicked in. I yelled, no, stop, freeze. Then readjusted and said, you stay right there. This is private property. Don't take a step closer. Wait there. So I go in and Alyssa is asleep just one room over from where the rustling first occurred. And I wake her up and say something to the effect of, I don't know what the big idea was to have friends over this time of night, but you tell them to go home. She has no clue what I'm talking about. I say, there's a guy outside looking for you. Confused, she gets up and goes to the window. She sees him and goes white as a sheet. He asked for me? Yeah. By name? Yes. Call the police. I've never seen him in my life. I call 911 immediately. But as I was on the phone with them, Alyssa started tugging at my arm. He's coming up. I had younger kids in the house to think about, so I kept the door latched and pulled it just open enough for the latch and yelled, I asked my husband, and none of us know an Alyssa last name. Leave my property or I'm calling 911. He got angry and started yelling for her to come out. Thankfully, the police came pretty quickly, and when he heard the sirens, he grabbed the bike and ran off. I watched where he was running, and he jumped into the passenger side of a car without headlights or front plates and sped off. The police followed in the same direction once I pointed them. 
but they didn't get him. They advised us to take all her social media details offline if she was sure she didn't know this person and said they'd had a couple similar reports recently and were looking into it. I got a heavy-duty lock and she slept in my room for the remainder of my visit. If you'd like to submit your experience to the show, we have several different options, and you can find them all at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, join us on Patreon, where you can get early access to our premium feed, featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And a shout-out to our newest supporters, Alicia Torquato, Amy Schaubert, Heather Camberg, Lily Olson, and Jeff Lancaster. Thanks, everyone, so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>